You are listening to the Supermamas Getting Tired podcast. I'm your host, Tori Henderson, and this is episode 92. All links and show notes can be found by going to lifecoachingforparents.com slash 92. Welcome to the Supermom is Getting Tired podcast. This show is designed for moms who invest everything into parenting, but get overwhelmed, lost, and resentful. Listen and learn how to unburden yourself, feel calm, full of energy, and in control. I'm your host, master certified life coach, teacher, and recovering supermom, Tori Henderson. Hello, supermoms. How's everybody doing out there? It has been a rough month for me. I'm so glad it's February now because I feel like, well, two things. One is that our COVID numbers have gone down and things are starting to open up. And just even the thought that spring is coming, I've got daffodils popping up in the yard and the days are getting a little longer and just I'm feeling a renewed sense of hope because January was really long and rough for me. Just lots of crying, <laughs> lots of emotions up and down. I have really great day. Like it was super awesome, super fun. And then the next day I'd be like down in the doldrums. It was really mostly doldrums, not like anything was gone wrong. And I'm realizing how much of me being me happens when I'm teaching, coaching, hosting, like gatherings or events, like parties. And like, that's just so core to who I am and exploring. I like to explore new places. So I cannot travel. I can't throw parties. I am not teaching in person. Luckily, I thank goodness for you guys. Uh, and my group coaching class has been so wonderful. And then it definitely has been a sanity saver. And all of my wonderful coaching clients, I am super grateful you guys are keeping me sane during this pandemic. But I am still missing it, even though I'm still finding ways to do it. I need more. I spent way too much time sitting at my computer this month and in the quiet by myself. And I am ready to engage with the humans. So I am teaching a class. My favorite class I've been teaching for decades is a sex education class for parents to take with their nine to 12 year old son or daughter. So if you have a nine to 12 year old, I highly encourage you go to lifecoachingforparents.com, sign up for a free webinar that I'm offering. You can go to timeforthetalk.com and check out the class that I'm going to be offering. So my webinar is coming up on February 10th. It's called Five Ways to Start the Talk Without Making It Awkward. So it's really helping parents bridge that gap between like, you know, I want to be my child's primary sex educator. Like I do think I should be the one to like tell them about this stuff, but I'm not really sure what to say, how to say it, how much information to give. So this whole week and next I'm going to be talking about what today's kids are being exposed to, where they're getting their sex education, why it's so important that parents get involved now more than ever, how to open up the dialogue, all this good, juicy conversation is going to be happening. So make sure you are either in the Facebook group, signed up for the lifecoachingforparents.com mailing list, or hopefully well, actually, by the time this airs, it's going to be really close to the webinar. So hopefully I will see you on the webinar on February 10th, five ways 
to have the talk with your kids without making it awkward. So today's question came in a little bit a while ago, but I wanted to save it because this topic is sort of relevant. And this is about um, from a mom who keeps catching her 13-year-old son watching porn. Now, I don't know if it's sadly, but my highest ranking podcast, the podcast that I have that has the most downloads and listens and whatever, has been one I did a long time ago called Caught Kid Watching Porn. Now, this was, I don't remember, but like a seven-year-old, maybe eight-year-old, something like that. So it's a different subject. Is that, that was a one time with the seven-year-old. This is a 13-year-old and it's recurring. So different advice, different situation, but I just want to, so we're going to dive in here to today's question. I'm so excited you guys are here. Denise writes, no matter how many times I take away his phone, remove apps or punish him, he keeps finding ways to access porn. I thought I blocked his ability to download apps and I'm constantly monitoring to him to see when he's online, but no matter how vigilant I think I'm being, I can't seem to stop his obsession with porn. The other night, I heard him talking to a girl and he was being so demeaning and rude. Turns out this was through this app I keep deleting. I hesitate to take his phone away completely when this is his only way to socialize with friends because of the pandemic. What do I say to get his 13-year-old brain to drop the porn and obey me. Okay, so we'll start with the parent educator answer of what do you say to your kid who's watching porn? And then we'll go into the life coaching answer. Oh, and today's super mom power boost is one of my favorites. So make sure you listen all the way to the end. So today's parent education answer of when your child gets hooked on the enticing dopamine release and titillation that pornography provides, it is time for you, mama, and his dad, if he's available, to enter into the sex conversation in a really profound way, okay? So sometimes kids will seek out information because they're curious and they're very used to Googling things when they want to know the answers to how the world works. We just go to Google, we search on YouTube if we want to learn about something. So this is uh, probably the main way now how kids are learning about sex is they Google it or their friend Googles it and then shows them some video Or sometimes it happens accidentally where they just stumble upon it and sometimes they're seeking it out or sometimes some friend is like, you know, kind of roping them in. But ideally, you don't want a porn conversation to be the first talk that you have with your child about sex. Kids are going to stumble upon inappropriate content online. And when they do, you want them to see it and think, oh, my parents already talked to me about this. Good Lord, my mom gave me so many books and videos. I have more information than I could ever want about this subject. That's kind of the mentality that I'm hoping that my Time for the Talk class will give to parents, you know, where they've got, they're like, ah, my kid doesn't want to hear. They don't want to know. Great. (laughs) Let's fill them up anyways so that when he stumbles across something inappropriate online, he can be like, oh yeah, I'm so sick of this conversation. My parents made me take a class. (laughs) They bought me books. (laughs) So you want your kid to kind of have that attitude about porn. So it's just kind of a way to 
you know, help them not get sucked in and be like, oh, this, I need to learn about this. This is something new. I don't know about this. So kids who've taken my time for the talk class, they might see some pornographic uh, images or a little video teaser on YouTube, and they may think, oh, that's just media sex. So that's one thing that we talk about is the difference between real people sex in real relationships and media sex, which is trying to sell you something, trying to get your attention and get you to watch. And so the kids learn that these people just are trying to make money by showing me something shocking. And so it helps them filter because a kid who doesn't have sex education prior can see that and think, oh, this is something I need to know. This is what sex is. And so they're not getting the parental perspective on sex in the context of a loving relationship. So whether you talk to him about sex or not, doesn't really matter. Right now, it's clearly time to ramp up his education. So first, I want to talk about what not to do. Do not shame him. This is, you know, kind of a lot of times it's our first default. Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you watching this? This is so bad. But try hard not to make him feel bad about his actions. So shame likes to live in the dark. And kids who feel shame will hide and sneak. We want your son to feel like you are there for him if he needs help. We want him to feel like no subject is off limits, you have his back, you are on his side, and you love him no matter what he does. Kids who feel shame start to internalize that, like, I'm a bad kid kind of identity. And so better to think, have him think that he's a good kid who occasionally makes bad choices than to go into shame, I'm, something's wrong with me, and then continue to live in the dark and sneak. So the second thing I want to advise what not to do is to not avoid or ignore the problem. It can be very tempting to avoid something that is so uncomfortable and confusing and like, you know, it just makes you feel like a bad mom. It's like we feel shame too, right? Like it's not like we're shaming the kids. It's like, oh my God, what kind of a mother would let her son watch this? And what's wrong with me that I can't, you know, with super moms, we tend to put on the self-pressure. And so You want to watch out for this bad mom shame and guilt because this will keep you hiding in the dark as well. It'll keep you from asking for help. And which I love that you reached out and wrote this question because that's great. You're like, I need help. I'm in over my head, which I think is awesome to admit that sometimes we are in our heads. We were not trained in (laughs) this. We didn't have role modeling. Our parents didn't deal with our watching our brother's obsession with online porn and, you know, model the way of how to handle that. So, of course, we don't know how to handle it. And it's okay to admit that, acknowledge it, and get some help from a professional that knows how to deal with it. You know, just admit that, like, I'm over my head. So, number one is to not shame him. Number two is don't shame yourself, (laughs) which then usually leads to avoiding or ignoring the problem and hoping it'll go away. And then number three is to encourage interactions with his peers, or I should say what not to do is don't take away his technology because what you want to do is encourage his interactions with peers. And I absolutely 
you know, think you can trust your instincts on this because you're like, yeah, he's 13. It's a pandemic. Like the only way he can connect with others is through technology. And you, so you don't want to remove all of his access. I don't think this is not, I am not an expert in, you know, teenage porn, but this is what I think the important thing is what, what tends to lead to people to get into addictions is a kind of a craving for connection. So if they have connection with other people and they have emotional intimacy and they get to talk about things that matter and they feel important, then they are way less likely to get drawn into any kind of addiction, porn being one of them. So do not take away all of his technology. Increase your involvement with his technology so that technology involves mom a lot more but encourage his interactions with peers. He might be curious about the opposite sex, so you can get him books or you can, you know, find some videos that are healthy and supportive you want. And I'm going to be posting them in Facebook this week, you know, videos about consent and videos about gender and all these things that are just, we want to start opening up the conversation with our kids on. He's probably yearning for emotional intimacy and human connection, which guess what? A lot of us are. (laughs) including me. And so getting, like understanding kind of the root cause can be really helpful. Trying to create more opportunities for this so that he can connect with real people. I'm not saying it's going to go away magically uh, because the, the porn fulfills such a nuanced little need and the brain chemicals that it releases are super powerful. But parents talking to kids about sex, about porn, about uh, you know the demeaning treatment of women on these videos, about sexuality and relationships. When parents step into that conversation, it immediately demonstrates emotional intimacy. You're saying, hey, I know that this is awkward and uncomfortable and it feels risky, but I'm going to do it anyways because you need to have this information and I'm going to get over my own fears and my own embarrassment so that we can have a real heart-to-heart talk about things that matter. Like that's what the kids need when parents get involved. That's a huge benefit is that they see the value in emotional intimacy. And when we do it in a, a genuine, authentic way, it teaches the kids how to be respectful and appropriate around this subject matter. Okay, so the three things what not to do, don't shame him or yourself, don't ignore the problem, and don't take away all his tech. What you do want to do is to learn more about porn addiction and to see how to help a teen. And so you want to communicate often and calmly about porn with your son. Like, ask him about what it does it feel like when you want to reload that app and you know, you know, your, your parents disapprove. You know, talk about the porn industry with them and how demeaning it is to, to women and talk about the consequences that teens experience who watch this and then they learn that, you know, what's, they get used to something that's not normal. And so it makes real relationships a lot tougher. You know, you want to teach them the difference between real people sex and media sex. Let them know that a healthy sexual relationship between people involves intimacy 
and commitment, that emotions are involved when it's a real-life situation. So you can satisfy curiosity with books, science, educational videos, reproduction, intimacy, female-male anatomy, puberty. Make it clear that you are the person he can turn to for factual information and acceptance for who he is. This is one of the results that comes from my Time for the Talk class, is the just the energy with which we talk about the subject helps kids feel... They learn to respect their bodies and accept that they're perfect as they are, as well as respect the opposite gender to themselves because they learn about both, what happens to boys and girls during puberty. And they learn that parents are the ones that they can turn to for, you know, questions, concerns, and things that come up because the parent is right there with them during the class. So let your love and acceptance of him permeate through your teachings. Ask him what his values are. What's important to him? What kind of a man does he want to be? Is he interested in having a romantic relationship right now? Like, if yes, why? If no, why not? Just start opening up the conversation with these some reflective questions like these. When you do that, you send the message that no matter what he watches on the internet, how he treats girls, what his sexual and gender identity are, that you are a person he can go to when problems or questions arise. Now, that was all the parent education answer, and that is a lot to digest when, if you're like most of us, it's a very awkward and embarrassing topic and we don't know how to handle it. And so the life coaching answer of what gets in our way from following this advice, opening up communication with your child, being genuine, authentic, there's so many things that get in our way from doing that. And so I just started writing a list for today's life coaching answer. It's a list of thoughts that go through a mom's head that prevent her from being able to have open, genuine, honest conversations about sex with her child. Number one, I don't know what to say. It sounds so innocent, doesn't it? But I don't know leads to inaction. I don't know how to say it. I don't know how much information to give. I don't know what to say too much. I don't know what's the right thing, the wrong thing. All of that hesitation and indecision will lead you to avoiding it, putting it off, not broaching the topic. Number two, it's too uncomfortable and embarrassing. <laughs> so yes, it is. We didn't watch this. We don't have this modeled for us in our life. Most of us, some, some of you had parents who did a great job and it wasn't a problem. Or you maybe had a really good teacher in sixth grade who made it a comfortable subject uh, and made it not such a big deal, you know, but most teachers in school are not trained. I mean, I know I was they used to call me into the class and say, can you please do this uh, next couple of days of lessons? Because like, I really don't want to. And so, you know, the teachers are just as embarrassed and uncomfortable as parents are. And they don't want to say, they're even more scared to say the wrong thing. They don't want parents getting mad at them. So it is uncomfortable. It is embarrassing. And when we show our kids, we say, yep, this embarrasses me. I might start laughing. <laughs> I might turn red, but it's so important to me that you have this information that I am going to deal with my own embarrassment. That's so powerful for the kids. They can sense your authenticity. 
And when you say like, yeah, this makes you feel really uncomfortable because my parents didn't talk to me about this and I don't really know what's going to come out of my mouth, but here we go. We're going to move forward with it anyways. I watched this video or I bought this book or we're taking this class and you kind of just like grin and bear it and push through the embarrassment. What your child learns is that there is a value and a benefit to emotional intimacy. And what we're seeing today in today's teens, that that is the biggest problem, is that kids are connecting through texts, through social media, you know, messaging, and they're not doing the eye-to-eye, close contact and, you know, uh, connection, especially with this pandemic, there's even less, and they're they're not understanding the value and the benefit of having conversations that matter with other humans, <laughs> okay? So other things that get in the way, he's ruining his life. So here we go with catastrophizing and futurizing, right? When you see this behavior and you're like, oh my God, he's ruining his life. For the rest, he's going to ruin his ability to have healthy relationships later on. That's always a slippery slope towards a not great child-parent conversation. Number four, I'm handling it wrong and I'm ruining his life. Like, I'm a terrible mom. I am doing it wrong. That's going to make you not want to uh, open up the conversation. It's going to shut things down. Number five thought a mom might think is, if I was a good mom, this wouldn't have happened. Oh, honey. (laughs) It's just the world we're living in now. I mean, you should see the stats. Maybe I'll show them on the webinar of the kids who are watching online pornography. Like it is just getting younger and younger and younger. And that is my number one downloaded podcast. So out of 92, that's telling you that if you are a good mom or you wouldn't have written in to get help on this question, you clearly care about him. And so we got to make sure we are not blending together a good mom with our child's actions on the internet because it's just a, it's a difficult time to navigate and we have no training. Oh, here's the f- number six. What gets in our way from having this open conversation with our kids and ramping up their sex education and really talking about pornography authentically is the thought, it must be his dad's fault (laughs) or it must be his, the the in-laws, blame the mother-in-law. It must be school. School must be, it must be his friends, their bad influence on him. Or even you could say like, this stupid technology, this is ruining our life. Anytime you go into blame, you disempower yourself and you think, oh, I've solved the problem. The world's just going to hell in a handbasket, so there's nothing I can do. And so that's going to get in your way. You want to make sure that you've got some power here and you can create change. So number seven thought a mom might think to to prevent her from addressing this issue is, I laid down the law. Phew, glad that's over with thinking that this is a one-and-done conversation and he's just going to obey you because you said he should is not going to probably help the situation. And number eight of what's going to get in your way is to wallow in sadness and guilt. 
it's almost like guilt can be sort of an indulgent emotion. You're like, oh, I'm so, I feel so guilty. I'm so sad. I'm lost. And it just it's indulgent like chocolate or like you're just eating too much sugar. It, like it doesn't do good things. It's unnecessary. It doesn't lead you to a good result. So be wary of wallowing in sadness and guilt. So many things get in our way in this topic that you probably want to get help from an outside expert before tackling it because it's there's just too many obstacles. Of course, you won't want to, <laughs> and neither will your kid. So let's expect that, right? And let's just be clear. Like, I teach sex education for kids. I am not an expert in porn addiction or anything like that. So you can reach out to me, ask me a question. I can coach you on getting your mindset in the right place so that you can be more open and receptive and not be so sad or mad or shamed or whatever. That I can do. But if you want somebody to talk to your kid, there are people that are experts in this. But you're not going to want to reach out to them because shame likes to live in the dark. So the first step is to bring the issue out into the light and talk about it regularly and often so that the shame cannot survive, especially if you're talking about it to somebody who's compassionate. There's, and there's a lot of people out there that are compassionate. So be careful who you choose to tell, okay? Make sure you find somebody that's really understanding. So first, get him to think about the kind of young man he wants to be. Who does he admire? Where does he see himself in the future when it comes to relationships? What does he look forward to about being a high schooler? We do this in my time for the talk class. Like even though they're 10 years old, one of the best ways to prevent teen pregnancy or porn addictions is to have aspirations for the future and like a really clear vision for where you're going and who you want to be and recognizing that there are things that can detour you from that and get in the way. And so pandemics, for example, could get in the way. So ask him about his future. Ask him who he wants to be. Take out a piece of paper and draw a line down the middle. And on one side, write an unhealthy relationship with porn. On the other side of the paper, write a healthy relationship with porn. And then brainstorm with him what each one would look like. So this is an example of just bringing up the conversation in a neutral way, not hiding from the problem, recognizing that it's still here, it hasn't gone away. So let's talk about it. What does a healthy relationship with porn look like and what is an unhealthy relationship with porn? And let's just start by defining that. Once he's clear on his goals and who he wants to be, then you can become his ally in creating healthy boundaries and a healthy attitude towards the opposite sex and sex in general. So you've got to have his buy-in. It's got to be his idea. What does he want? Where does he see himself in the future, right? What are his goals? And then you can support that. And so if he doesn't want to be addicted and have an unhealthy relationship with porn where he just stays in his room, let's say 20 hours a day and doesn't interact with anybody his age, if he decides that that's not what he wants, then you get to be his ally in helping him create that. So you can check in with them, like scale of one to 10. How high is the temptation to look at porn today? What do you do to distract yourself when the temptation comes up? Like what's working for you? What's not working for you? Make him your teammate and ally. So, you know, when you talk rudely towards girls and you spread that kind of negative energy, is there anything you can do to turn it around later and make up uplift 
a girl and maybe send her some positive energy and just like trying to talk about it. (laughs) So I think we'll help him feel accepted, help him understand the issue that he's facing and help him feel like he's not alone in it. You know, it can be really isolating and lonely and overwhelming. And so we want the kid to feel like, you know, his mom is, and hopefully his dad are on his side to help him tackle this this, uh, situation that he's in. So today's super mom kryptonite is thinking you should be able to handle every aspect of parenting on your own. I don't know where we pick up the idea that we should be great at every aspect of parenting, but I certainly did. (laughs) I definitely had that thought. It's like, I should be good at cooking and cleaning, which is not parenting, but I felt like it was. I grew up in the culture that indoctrinated me to think that a housewife went along with motherhood, keeping a clean home. But I also felt like I should be good at crafts and Oh, like uh, holidays, seasonal things, and I don't know, just everything. So it does. It's not true. <laughs> you don't have to be good at everything. That would be really weird if you were. So when it comes to sex, if your parents didn't do a great job about talking about sex in a natural, easy way, it's normal that the conversation would be uncomfortable for you. Throw in a little online porn and sprinkle some cell phones around and social media, and we have absolutely no role modeling for parenting today's kids in a modern world. The idea that you should be able to listen to a podcast or read an article and suddenly transform into a wise sage who says all the right things, it's a little bit silly, mama. (laughs) finding people who fill in the gaps of our knowledge, our talents, and our expertise, that is not silly. That is smart and savvy. You you wouldn't expect to teach your kid how to do a back walkover to handstand 180-degree pirouette if you topped out at somersaults and cartwheels. We hire coaches to fill in the gaps. Even if you can teach your kid the piano— They might do better with a stranger teaching them. They might not argue or complain as much, right? Hiring somebody to help us teach our kids is very normal when it comes to something like sex education that it might just be outside of your comfort zone. So the program I offer, what what I love about it is that it's all-encompassing. We touch on so many subjects. I mean, I'm obviously very comfortable with the subject matter. I'd been teaching it for years and years before my own kids started asking questions and we started bringing up the conversation. And it really wasn't until they took the time for the talk class that we, I felt like we'd covered everything because it's just, you know, it's just hard. And so it's nice to have it all condensed into this little window because they're not going to remember everything. They're not going to remember every single detail. What's the difference between a sperm and a semen? (laughs) I guarantee they will not remember that. But they will remember who sat next to them while they learned it and how they felt. And if they felt relaxed and comfortable and their parent was right there next to them, that's what they'll take away from it. And so the talk is this 
like infusion of education. A lot of it's for parents as much as it's for kids. You know, parents are like, what are you, what are we talking about? Preferred pronouns and they, them, he, she, like a lot of the parents need help kind of navigating the new world and language that their kids are growing up in. And so sometimes when parents say like, what, what do I say to my kid? I wanted to sign up for time for the talk, but I'm afraid he won't attend. Is what I say is like, you tell him it's not for him. It's for you. Like, this is a class that you're taking and he just happens to be there. <laughs> so I hope that you can join me for the webinar tomorrow and start getting comfortable. The more you hear me talking about the subject matter in a comfortable way, it's just like if your parents had, right? It's just like, I'm remodeling that. I'm showing you how it can be done or giving you, some, if you already are comfortable, helping you brainstorm and think about subject matters that might be good to bring up and address that maybe you just haven't thought of. So my sex education program is for 9 to 12-year-olds and their parents. It's designed to, the main goal of it is to open up the lines of communication on difficult subjects and teach your kids that you are the person to turn to for problems, questions, concerns, that you are on their side, you have their back, and you'll be with them all through adolescence because I will disappear after a few weeks, but you will be there. So in Denise's situation with her 13-year-old son, this would be better helped by someone who specializes maybe in porn addictions. Even if he isn't addicted yet, you might as well learn some prevention and education techniques from an expert in the field and not expect to be able to have to handle it on your own. Okay, super moms. Today's power boost is such a, a fun one. <laughs> it just, it makes me giggle. I was so, uh, I don't know, giddy when I came up with it. All right. So today's super mom power boost, this is to give you a boost of energy, is to use the magic of algorithms. So I'm sure you've noticed that when you start, let's say you start shopping online for a new mattress for your bed. And then you go into social media and all of a sudden your news feed is filled with mattress ads. Have you noticed that? So I'm thinking, why can't we use this to our advantage with our teenagers? Because teenagers do not like to learn from their parents, right? We know they listen to every word they say, whether they admit it or not. They do like to know what we think and they do listen, but they don't act like it and they don't really want to hear it. So sometimes they will go against our sage wisdom and advice just simply to be a teenager and rebel against it because they don't want us to, you know, be right. <laughs> so let's say you have a teenager who's struggling with anxiety and you're telling her, you know, there's, you can find a therapist, find a life coach, like you should really have somebody to talk to. You know, I've heard about this you know, like you can do some mindfulness training, some breathing, some yoke. Let's say you got all the ideas in the world and your kid is just shutting down every single one of them. So you go into their phone and you go on their social media, YouTube, Instagram, whatever, and you just type in breathing techniques for stressed out teens, um, relaxation and mindfulness for teenagers. How does therapy 
help with anxious teens. And you just start Googling and clicking and you let the magic of algorithms start popping these things into her newsfeed so that she'll think she's discovering them on her own. And she won't even realize that you're kind of helping to trigger the algorithm in her direction. So sometimes, mamas, we got to get sneaky. You know, I've been known to like hand a note to the pediatrician and say, can you encourage my child to eat vegetables? (laughs) Because I knew that my kid would listen to the doctor more than me, right? Like uh, in my house, if I hear a kid on the phone with a friend who might be having a little conflict and struggle... It would not be unlikely for in the bathroom the next day to show up a book on how to handle friendship conflicts. (laughs) So I I tend to like sneak these things in, you know, when my, I remember my daughter's friend was spending the night and she was like, ah, maybe like eight or seven years old. And she's like, I miss my mommy. I want to go home. And I'm like, okay, honey, I'll call her. But here, while you're waiting, you take a look at this book about puberty and uh, how the body's changing or whatever. So I come back five minutes later. She's giggling. She's having so much fun looking at the book and bonding with my daughter over the funny illustrations. I said, do you still want me to call your mom? She's like, nope, I'm good. I'm staying the night. <laughs> so sometimes I get a little sneaky. And this one I just think is kind of fun. So you can think about different ways you can do this. Like with Denise, she might go on her son's phone and start searching, like, how do you know if you're addicted to porn or ditch the porn and learn to to bond and connect with real people or how to get the attention of a cute girl or what do you do when you're lonely during the pandemic and, you know, you want to make new friends. You want to meet new people. Like she could Google whatever she wants. Everything is out there. YouTube and Google is just an amazing fountain of information. Like you can just look up anything you want and there will be some sort of video on it or whatever. So you can start to feed the, you know, feed the algorithms for your children so that they think they're stumbling upon these brilliant ideas all on their own. Today's quote of the day, loneliness isn't the physical absence of other people. It's the sense that you aren't sharing anything that matters. Johan Hari. And so I want you mamas, if you're, you might be feeling lonely, like I have been lately, but I want you to keep in mind that your teenagers might be feeling lonely too. And not having conversations that matters is something to Keep in mind of that might be triggering a behavior like this. And if you have a 9 to 12-year-old and you want to have a conversation that matters, join me. Go to timeforthetalk.com, sign up for the free webinar, and sign up for the class starting in February this month. You all take care, and I will love you and leave you. Want a free life coaching session? Go to lifecoachingforparents.com and schedule yours today. And thank you so much for listening. I would love it if you would subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends. If you have a question you'd like me to answer on the air, go to lifecoachingforparents.com slash record my question and you can send me a voicemail recording or write me an email and I'll answer it on the air. Thanks again. Have a great day.